The scripture for today is from Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand and through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God, empowered by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The cross that Jesus hung on was the most daring move in all of history. Now, just before Christmas, Lyndall had a night off. She was out doing something, and so I had the kids. And so I said to the kids, what do you want to do? And they're like, we want to go Christmas watching. Great. Love doing that. Well, let's go. There's actually a big Christmas tree on Burley Hill. Let's go down and have a look at that. Biggest Christmas tree ever seen. Just blow your mind. So we went down. They weren't quite as impressed as I'd hoped. And as we sat on the hill, we looked across down to North Burley, where you could see the other Christmas tree. So there's two Christmas trees that they light up, or two pine trees that they light up. We can see the other one. I said, do you want to go down there and have a look at that? They're like, yeah, let's go. So we jumped in the car and we drove down. And when we got there, there's a playground there. And so they asked if they could play on the playground. By this stage, it was dark. So the lights of the tree are on. It was always kind of, don't tell the was past their bedtime. And they're like, can we play in the playground? I'm like, yeah, mum's not home for another couple of hours. It's all good. So they go to the playground, which is just there, and there's a seat. We're just chilling out and chatting to a few people. And all of a sudden, I realise I can't find Hamish. He's vanished. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And didn't go to plan either. So I start looking around. I said, Zari, have you, called, have you seen Hamish? And Zari starts laughing. And she says, yeah, Dad, he's up there. I went up where? And she goes, up there. And I'm standing next to the lamppost. And I look, and halfway up, one of the street lampposts, he's climbed. Just like, well, there's an opportunity, and he just shimmies halfway up. I'm like, are you going to come down or go to the top? He's like, I'm going to go to the top. I'm like, you are not. Come down right now. It was scary even for me. Lyndall would have, well, it wouldn't have been pretty, would it, hun? <laughs> Zari couldn't stop laughing. It was pretty daring. But in comparison to the work of God on the cross... It was safe. God's work on the cross was so outrageous that no one before and no one ever since has been able to achieve what God achieved through the cross and through Jesus' sacrifice. The complete and utter forgiveness of all humankind, every person that wants to be part of it, totally forgiven and a reunification between the created and the Creator. The gift God offered on the cross, it will never grow old. It will never be exhausted. It will never be out of date. It will never fade into history. It's just about the only thing that stands free of those things. Such was the daring nature of God, that a holy God would embrace a filthy cross for us lost sinners it's scandalous it's outrageous it's unbelievable and it's ours it's yours 
if you want it. If you've accepted it, if you are a Christian, you've said, that's the truth for me, that's something I believe in, then we carry around the most absurd victory won for us ever. We are ambassadors of a scandal. It should never have happened, but it did. We've been called to carry that story. And if we aren't carrying that beautiful story, if we aren't sharing it or thinking on it or celebrating it or being humbled by it, then have we really received the brilliant and beautiful gift that God offers us? You see, the cross forces us to abandon our lives and take up Christ's life. It forces us to, if we take it seriously, if we take it on board. And that's what our mission is about. Our mission is to be a daring, sharing and caring community with Jesus. Now, last week we spoke about our vision. I won't quiz you on it yet, but in coming weeks and months I will. It was four-pronged approach, four pieces, to have custom-designed mission in Burley, to have a healthy multi-generational church, to use music that assists people moving and stepping into a commitment with Jesus who currently don't know Jesus, and using this building to do mission and to equip people for mission. There's a recording of what I preached last week that if you weren't here and you haven't listened to it, it's on our Facebook pages and on Village website. I would strongly encourage you to listen to that. There's some really key points in that for our future. And so we have our mission. That's our vision. We have our mission to be a daring, sharing and caring community with Jesus. And the mission is something you lay over a vision that makes the vision work. A mission enables you to reach your vision. It enables the vision to be not four nice things, but to be concrete realities that we experience. Mission is the vehicle that we get in to drive us toward the vision. We cannot move toward the vision God has for us if we are not a daring, sharing and caring community with Jesus. We will never see that vision fulfilled if we are not daring and sharing and caring with Jesus and with each other. Because the mission is the vehicle that we get in that drives us to the vision. To dare more for God. To share more of and with God. To care more about God. And we can because God first did that for us, which is what Romans is about. God dared more for us. He shared more with us. He cares more about us. Verse 4 says, God's Son who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's saying that Jesus lives, Jesus was resurrected, that Jesus stole life from death. And this verse then thrusts in our face a very powerful and significant question. How are we daring in the same spirit? How are we daring in the same spirit? If what Jesus did on the cross is something we truly, truly believe, how is the daring spirit of God evident in who we are? If you did a bit of a quick appraisal of your life now, would you come before God and God would say, that, that's a daring life you're living? Is your life daring? Is it living with the same daring spirit that God dared for you? I'm reminded of a story that happened when we, um, we first, uh, we'd been doing village for six, 12 months. And a person who, um, who's part of village, still part of village, I'm going to call him Village Guy for the sake of this story. He'll probably find that entertaining. So Village Guy 
says to me one week, after I'd preached on, we need to follow the call of God, we need to step out, we need to dare, we need to do those things. Village guy comes up to me and says, just want to thank you for that sermon last week because I did it. Like, that's amazing. He goes, but I, that's not something I normally do. I'm not someone who finds it easy to do that, who likes stepping out of my comfort zone. It's kind of awkward and difficult. I don't want to do that. But this week, something strange happened. He said, I went to the servo and I pulled up in my car and I filled the car up with petrol. And sitting on the curb, the other side of the servo, was a guy who looked beaten up by life. He looked like he was struggling. He looked a bit lost. He just looked stressed. And so village guy goes and pays for petrol, sorts that out, and then wanders over. He's like, I don't normally do this. So, so out of, out of my, my worldview, my, no, my, world, my comfort zone. And he walks up and he starts talking to this guy. And he has a chat with him and realizes that the guy's stranded. He's a long way from home, doesn't have any money. And so village guy sorts him out, helps him with some money, takes him to the train station, makes sure he's, he's able to get back to the place where he wanted. And so village guy is telling me this story. And he's excited because... The daring of nature of God toward village guide then becomes the daring nature of village guide toward this stranger, this complete stranger. And we do so in the faith that the Holy Spirit will, will translate those actions so that that stranger is receiving and understands and comes to know that they're receiving the love of God and the daring nature of God, not just some well-meaning person that stopped. We need to talk about this sort of stuff. What actions... Would our church take that would reflect the daring nature of God? It's going to be a question we're going to circle back to a lot. It's going to be a question that leads us into the future. It's going to be a question we'll ask in smaller groups and larger groups that we'll really wrestle with. What actions could our church take that would reflect the daring nature of God? And then our task is to lay those suggestions and ideas and discernments and thoughts over the vision and ask the question, are they helping us move toward our vision? And if they are, then we need to do it. And that's really where it all comes down to being. We can think and we can pray and we can talk all we like, but until we do something, the vision will never be realised. But becoming a daring church, it begins with us becoming daring individuals. That's where it starts. So after Romans says, God's son, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, it has this follow-up punch, kind of suckers you in and then knocks you out. It says, through him, we received grace and apostleship. Why? To call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake which offers up the question, how are we sharing with others and with those who don't know Christ the same, with the same spirit that God shared with us? The early Christians understood that they had received salvation in order to offer it to the Gentiles. It took them a little bit of time to get there, but they were gripped with this reality that we are saved so that the rest of the world can be saved. We are God's chosen people, the Jews, and we are saved so that every one of us here who's not a Jew will be saved and everyone in Burley and beyond might be saved. The equivalent for us 
to have that sort of mindset is to say, when I've been really hurt by someone, so think about someone, really hurt you, they become your enemy, and it's to say to them, God has given me so much grace that not only does it eliminate the massive wrong I've done against God, there's enough of it for me to eliminate the massive wrong you've done against me. That's what the Jews were called to do to the Gentiles. Because a Gentile was abomination to a Jew. They were unclean, they were holy, unholy, they were morally bankrupt, they were spiritually disgraceful, they were utterly and permanently lost to the grace of God until Jesus flipped everything on its head. And people received the Holy Spirit and they realized, ah, we've received this from God to pass it on. Have you realized that yet for yourself? You have received the grace of God to pass it on. You have received God in order to share God. God has blessed you to be a blessing. What you have is God's gift to you to bring his life and his love to others who don't know it. It's called stewardship. God shares with us such grace and generosity that our lives are not meant to be a resting point for his grace, but a channel for his grace. Your life's not meant to be like a dam that says, I'm just going to soak it all up and have it all here. You're a river. You're a channel for that grace. Every week we do a bread run. And Carrie, who's sitting at the back there, Carrie faithfully goes down to Baker's Delight and picks up, would it be a thousand or ten thousand loaves of bread? It's, it just feels like Jesus has touched it and there is so much bread, so much bread. And so that bread then gets picked up by Carrie at about 7.30 and brought around to our place. And usually Lindell providing, uh, well, I try and get out of it. I try and do other things like youth ministry, which is far less tedious than, um, than doing what Lindell often does. Um, it, it, she bags up all the bread, every single loaf of bread she bags up and ties it. And then the Friday we go about distributing the bread to everyone we know. And so there's a few different ways it gets distributed. First of all, there's a, a couple of bags that go to playgroup, our playgroup that happens on a Friday morning. I take a, a bunch of bread and go around to different houses around the Gold Coast and just throw lumps of bread at the front door of people I know. Um, our kids rush up to our neighbours with bags of bread every week and it takes them forever because they start having a chat and it just goes on and on and on. Um, the bread that doesn't get used at playgroup then goes to the school. Um, this is after Lyndall does, she's got this trolley that fills with bread and she walks through the school as she drops the kids off and people, parents go, oh, there's some bread. Oh, is it cut? No, it's not cut. You have to cut your own. Okay. And, and like this Pied Piper thing, this, this growing mass of people getting bread. And then all the bread that's left over after that, we take back to the school and we give it to the teachers and to the staff. And so by the end of Friday afternoon, there's no bag of bread left anywhere. Four years ago, it happened that Baker's Delight saw that we were doing things in the community and went, we want to be part of that. Can we help? Can you become one of our charities on a Thursday night? I'm like, what does that mean? They go, just turn up on Thursday night and collect the bread. Yeah, okay, we'll give it a go. And so we, we did that and we've been doing it ever since. But the reason they asked us to do it was because they saw that we were doing something that was bigger than us. 
Now, now the person that arranged it, the manager that arranged it, wasn't a Christian, but they did have a spiritual sense about it, and they could see that God was stirring something. And so they said, we want to be part of this. We want to source you to do this. Otherwise, the bread gets chucked in the bin. And then we said, wow, we've received God's grace. Let's pass this grace on. And so we pass it on. And there are multiple people who take bread from us and then go and distribute it to other people. And it has this beautiful roll-on effect. It's sharing what God has given to us. It's not consuming and taking it. It's saying, God has given me this. How do I bestow it on others? How do I pass it on? So the question is, what actions could we take as a church that would reflect the sharing nature of God? As we move forward, we have to take this seriously. We have to do it. What could we do as a church to show people the grace of God and to share that. And our task is to take all those ideas and lay them over our vision and go, these ones help us move toward the vision. Let's do it. It's no longer conversation. Let's do it. Becoming a sharing church, though, means we, first of all, become sharing individuals. What we do as a church is magnified by what takes place in our own hearts first. So then Romans continues, God's Son, who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through Him we received the grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith from His namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to belong. That word belong. It's a powerful word. We are using the word caring because it rhymes, the sharing and daring. But belong is a far more powerful personification of that word. We are called to belong to Jesus. Each of us, we are called to belong to Jesus. Jesus who triumphed on the cross so that we can belong to him. God stared down sin. He sent it running so our belonging could be fulfilled in Jesus. Which offers up the question, how are we caring in the same spirit? The Gentiles who heard this, the Gentiles who were being talked about, they were desperate to belong to something that didn't keep taking and instead gave. Everything about a Gentile's life took more than it gave. The government, the economy, the culture, the society. It took about, it was designed to take from the 80% and give to the 20%. Which meant 80% of, of citizens wanted to belong to something that was safe. They belonged to Caesar, but they never benefited from it. They belonged to their employer or their owner, but it wasn't for their benefit. They belonged to communities, but they were exploited. But the church offers this safe haven. The church ever since has offered a safe haven, a refuge, an oasis, where we can truly belong, where we can truly trust, and where you are cared for. Now the problem is we carry all of our insecurities into church. We don't need to. You don't need to carry your insecurities here. You're secure in Christ. God has everything you need. You don't need to be insecure in community but but we do 
We forget that this is God's body, that Christ is the head, Christ is in charge. This is the church, this is the vehicle for God's care. The problem is we look to others and expect them to be our saviour and our Messiah instead of looking to Jesus who says, I'm at work in my church. Find belonging, find care here. So don't rely on the church to care for you. Rely on Jesus to care for you in the context of church. That's how Jesus has set it up. I recall when our church council met with, with Billy Heads and, um, and we had the conversation to make about whether we allow vaccinated people to come to the stuff we do. The conversation we had was very brief. It was very quick and I'll tell you the contents of it. We started talking about those very early Christians. Not, not the, the ones that were around in Jesus' day, but a century or so later. And those Christians um, lived in a time of real plague. Like we're struggling in COVID, but they lived in a, a time when it was life and death and the populations were destroyed as plagues rolled through. And the Christian church became the only entity in all of society that said, we don't actually care about our lives. We will go and care for those because what was happening is households, if one person got the plague, they were banished from the household. And it wasn't like they were isolated in another room. They were kicked out onto the street. And so the streets were laden with people who had died or who were dying of this plague. And the Christians said, we've been called by God to go and care for the bodies of those who are dead and care for those who are still dying and see if we can bring life back to them. And so they would go through and they would collect the bodies and carefully they would bury those who passed away and they would take those who were still living back to their monasteries and they would care for them. And you know what happened? Some of those people died and some of those people were healed. But some of the Christians died. Would you be, would you be that, were you? Like that's daring, right? That's sharing, that's caring. They put their lives on the line. They abandoned their lives utterly and entirely because they knew how much God loved them and cared for them, that their life simply wasn't important anymore. They couldn't care less about themselves because God cared immeasurably more than they could ever fathom for them. So we pondered this and we made the decision, eh, I'm not gonna not allow people that aren't vaccinated to come in here. But COVID gives us a good opportunity, doesn't it? To really explore that, to challenge that. How caring and sharing and daring are we? And where are our motives with that? We've got friends who have just come out of isolation for being, uh, um, uh, having COVID. And they had a long isolation because the mum got it first. Then two days later, their little bubba, uh, little toddler, just starting to toddle, uh, got it. And then two days later, the husband got it. And then two days later, the kids got it. They had a bad run of being isolated. And so we found out about this and it just so happened that we had some bread we could give away. So I went around and said, do you want some bread? And left the bread at the door and had a chat about five meters away. It was very intimate. Just yelling at each other, how are you? Good thanks, how are you? No, actually they never say good thanks. It's like, yeah, I've been better. So we had, had this chat. And then a couple of days later, we thought, oh, well, well, we'll go back and, and have a chat. And they're saying, like, this is so cool that you would do this. They don't go to church. They haven't got faith. And they, they would um, have these conversations. And so 
we then found other opportunities and reasons to go back and bless them every couple of days. Now, on the final Sunday before their isolation finished, it was their eight-year-old girl's birthday. And she was in isolation. She had COVID. She hadn't been back to school yet because the way the school year started. And so, so we thought, let's, let's, I'll grab a donut after church. I think I saw some of you when I was doing it. Grab a donut after church. And then as a family, we'll go around and we'll sing happy birthday and give her a donut. And so we did. And, and it, was, it, was, it was easy. It was so easy. The whole thing. It wasn't an act of sacrifice. It wasn't an act of effort. It was, oh, we love them. And so we're just going to go help. We're just going to go and do this thing. Lyndall gets a text um, from the mum. And the text says this. Thanks so much for popping by and making my daughter feel super special. You guys have been absolutely amazing. And over the last couple of weeks have helped us out in ways that you'll never know. Turns out... We were the only ones that did it. The only ones outside of her family that did it. Out of all the people they know, we were the only ones. And I love that the church gets to play that role for people when nobody else will. Just to go and be and love. To care. To really help people find their belonging with you and their belonging in life. And so often we get absolutely hijacked because we're asking the question, why don't people visit me? And God's like, nah, you go visit someone else and then you'll have what you want, but they'll have what they want. It comes from a heart change of realizing what Jesus did on the cross for us and taking it personally and being obedient to it. We are those Gentiles that we, we have been offered salvation and called to obedience to God, called to live these things, not just to think them or do them or engage with them once a week, but to be part of what God is doing. Our mission is to be a daring, sharing and caring community with Jesus. But your calling... My calling is to be a daring and sharing and caring disciple with Jesus. We need to start there. We need to do it together. And we need to do it today. Let's pray. Lord, your, your grace yells at us to wake up from our stupor, to open our hearts and our eyes to you and to obey and to follow and to trust. And the last two years of COVID have been savage in taking our focus from you and putting it on ourselves. But God, you are stepping us into a new chapter where we are daring and sharing and caring, where we begin with those convictions in our lives and it's culminated in the expression of this church. So Lord, give us faith right now to trust you, to follow, to sense the leading of your Holy Spirit to be obedient to that. 
Open our hearts, Lord. Speak to us now. May we hear you through all the distraction, all the messages to look after ourselves and be about ourselves. May we take hold of your gospel. May we look after one another. May we share all that we have got from you. And Lord, may we be daring so that this world stops and takes a moment to say, what is going on there? We want to be your people, Lord. Because you are our God. And we ask this in your name.